1: Pre-installed malware is found in discount phones available under the FCC's Lifeline program. The evil Numb APT continues its attacks against fintech platforms and services. Joker Android malware adapts and overcomes its way back into the Play Store. Freddie Mac discloses a third-party data breach. Johannes Ulrich from Sands on defending against evil maids with glitter. Our guest is Rohit Guy from RSA with a preview of his keynote reality check: Cybersecurity's story. And the Royal Military College of Canada's hack attack remains under investigation. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, July 9th, 2020. Facebook yesterday took action against several networks for violations of the social media's policies against foreign interference and coordinated inauthentic behavior. The networks were based in four countries, Brazil, Canada, Ecuador, Ukraine, and the U.S. The takedown was noteworthy for the prominence of political messaging directed at domestic audiences. The networks in Canada and Ecuador exhibited both inauthenticity and foreign interference, aimed at audiences in El Salvador, Argentina, Uruguay, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Chile. The messaging here had a political dimension as well, but few obvious political commitments, often coming down on opposite sides in matters of electoral politics. Facebook said it was able to connect the activity to political consultants and former government employees in Ecuador, and also to Estraterra, a Canadian public relations firm. They spent about $1.38 million on Facebook ads Estraterra is no longer welcome on Facebook's platform. But the networks in Brazil, Ukraine, and the U.S. are in some ways more interesting because they were taken down for using coordinated inauthenticity to engage domestic audiences. The activity in Brazil, Facebook said, was linked to individuals associated with the Social Liberal Party, including Jair Bolsonaro, who is, of course, Brazil's current president. This network also bought Facebook ads, but only to the chicken feed amount of $1,500. In Ukraine, the coordinated network was particularly active during the 2019 presidential and parliamentary elections. It posted about various issues of domestic interest, including Russia's occupation of Crimea and Ukraine's relationship with NATO. It also appeared to support some candidates. They spent about $1.93 million on Facebook and Instagram ads. Finally, the activity in the U.S. was connected to the already-banned Proud Boys group, whose attempts to get back onto Facebook the social network was watching. In the course of that investigation, they identified a number of inauthentic accounts that the Washington Post connected to former political consigliere Roger Stone, who until his conviction for lying and witness tampering had been an advisor to President Trump. Facebook credits sealed court records in the case of the United States versus Stone, released after a petition by several news organizations with helping it recognize the coordinated inauthenticity. This network also bought ads, more than the Brazilians, but less than the others, not quite $308,000, according to Facebook. Researchers at security firm Malwarebytes report pre-installed malware on ANS, that is, American Network Solutions, UL40 phones running Android OS 7.1.1. The devices are among those sold by Assurance Wireless under the U.S. Federal Communications Commission's Lifeline program, which makes budget phones available to low-income consumers. This is the second time this year Malwarebytes has found pre-installed malware in discount Lifeline devices. Back in January, the company found similar issues with UMX U683CL devices produced by Unimax Communications, which Malwarebyte says officially removed all pre installed malware from its phone in February. ESET has a report out on the Evil Numb APT, a little discussed group that's been active against financial technology companies since 2018, at least. The security firm's researchers say that the threat group uses a mix of internally developed and commodity attack tools. They steal financial information from trading and investment platforms. Most of EvilNum's targets have been in the EU or the UK, with a few in both Canada and Australia. The commodity tools they use are for the most part purchased on the criminal-to-criminal market from the Golden Chickens Malware-as-a-Service vendor, whose other customers include Fin6 and the Cobalt Group. The information Evil EvilNum has taken includes spreadsheets and documents holding customer lists, investments and trading operations, internal presentations, software licenses and credentials for trading software and platforms, cookies and browser session information, email credentials, and customer credit card information, including proof of address and identity documents. The group has also been interested in information that could prove useful in subsequent attacks, like VPN configurations. They identify the group as an APT, that is, an advanced persistent threat, but ESET doesn't connect EvilNum with any particular government. And while it notes that EvilNum buys some of its tools from the same vendor as Fin6 and the Cobalt Group, it says it found no other connections among those threat actors. Security firm Checkpoint today outlined a new variant of Joker Android malware hiding inside apparently legitimate apps, some of which circulate in the Play Store. Forbes summarizes the findings as more evidence of Joker's dangerous sophistication. It hides itself in the manifest file of infected apps, which Checkpoint explained, is the file every Android app must have where the developer declares permissions needed, usage of servers, and so on. The actor pushed encoded malicious payload into metadata fields in that file only to be decoded and loaded when on a victim's device. That way, no configuration or payload needs to be pulled from the internet. Google has ejected the malicious apps from the Play Store, but the Joker operators are adaptive And once they are detected, they return. Continuing our media partnership with RSA and their upcoming Asia-Pacific and Japan conference, our guest today is RSA President Rohit Guy with a preview of his conference keynote, Reality Check, Cybersecurity's Story.
0: The theme for the RSA conference this year is the human element. And I reflected on what it is that makes us human. You know, I think the unique trait that humans have is that we are a storytelling species. And as such, I reflected on what the story of the cybersecurity industry is and what impact it has in terms of the future of the industry. So that's sort of the thought process that led me to taking a storytelling perspective to the industry and the domain of cybersecurity.
1: Can you give us a little bit of a preview of some of the things you're planning to talk about?
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, the framing of the overall talk, the story arc, if you will, to to use that word, is um, I talk about, um, you know, I set it up first in terms of uh, human element being a key theme for cybersecurity and why the human element is important. And the net of it is that while we obsess so much about the technology infrastructure that we are looking to protect in the cyber world, Intrinsically, this is a very human challenge. What we protect at the end of the day is the trust that we as humans have on technology and data. That's at the end of the day what our mission is. So I think just framing the mission from a humanistic lens is the first thing that, that I hit on. Next, what I see, uh, you know, the, the overall story arc comprises of three uh, episodes, if you will. I talk about the story we had in the industry the story we have in terms of how we how we tell our story today. And then I close out with saying the story we want in terms of how we should tell our story, because the way in my view, the way you change the future or change the world is to tell the story that you want. You have to first tell the story. The story comes first and the future next. You know,
1: it strikes me that um, many of us got together for the RSA conference in San Francisco earlier this year. And and for, I imagine, most of us, that was the last big get-together that many of us had. That was the last opportunity for the industry to really get together. And so much has changed in just a few months since then. Uh, I, I imagine that that must have played into your, your thoughts here as you were putting this presentation together.
0: Absolutely, indeed. It was top of mind. And, you know, the way I weaved it into the story is a, like a plot twist, right? Every great story has a plot twist. And boy, did we have a plot twist in the last few months. Who would, have, who would have thought that, you know, right on the heels of the San Francisco edition of the conference, we would all be sort of quarantined, sheltered in place, and, and, and kind of the world going through what it's gone through. What I've reflected on in my talk is some key learnings. What have we learned through this uh, global um, pandemic that we've all been living through? And I've tried to draw inspiration, you know, in terms of those learnings into the field of cybersecurity. So that's sort of the overall flow of the talk that I uh, intend to give.
1: That's RSA President Rohit Guy. The RSA Asia-Pacific and Japan Conference kicks off July 15th. Freddie Mac, the U.S. Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, has disclosed a data breach. It's apparently a third-party incident. Borrowers whose loans were serviced by one of Freddie Mac's due diligence vendors have received letters warning them of the breach. And Canada's Department of National Defense is continuing its investigation of last week's hacking incident at RMC, the Royal Military College of Canada. The Kingston, Ontario College, that's the equivalent of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, or Britain's Royal Military College at Sandhurst. The Department of National Defense has said, All early indications suggest this incident resulted from a mass phishing campaign. The Financial Post cites sources at the college as saying it was a ransomware attack. Emsesoft told the Financial Post that, assuming it was ransomware... The gangs responsible were probably either Doppelpamer or NetWalker, both of which steal data before they encrypt drives and submit their ransom demand. NetWalker tends to add its victims to its public list and then remove them once they begin negotiating payment, whereas Doppelpamer's style is not to disclose its victims until they refuse payment. Given that RMC hasn't shown up on anyone's list of victims yet, they're betting it's Doppelpamer. The Department of National Defense said that certain systems of the Canadian Defense Academy, the umbrella organization for Canadian military education, were also affected. But the locus of the attack was RMC, whose networks have remained offline as a precaution. No classified information, the department says, is at risk. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, You know, we've heard uh, a little bit about uh, these evil maid attacks uh, in the context of uh, the Thunder Spy Uh, vulnerability. Um, you got an interesting angle to this. Can you unpack uh, what's going on here? Yeah, so
2: Thunder Spy was a fairly technical, difficult to pull off vulnerability, where uh, you essentially have to open up a laptop, you attach a little device to it to flash the thunderbolt uh, firmware on the motherboard. But uh, the effect is quite devastating if an attacker is able to do that, because they essentially sort of uh, destroy the trust that your system has in its hardware. Uh, these attacks are often sort of called evil made attacks. And the reason they're called evil made attacks, well, back in the old days, when we were able to travel, we stayed at hotels and of course, sometimes had to leave our laptops in a hotel safe that we all know is not uh, all that great. And an evil mate that comes not to clean the room, but uh, to clean all of our secrets of our laptop, may be able to have enough time in the room with the laptop uh, to pull off an attack like this. So Mm. the difficult part here is it's really hard to prevent this attack other than carrying your laptop with you at all times, which, of course... um, it's difficult and really inconvenient. So, <laughs> another approach is for you to think about how to detect uh, these attacks.
1: All right. So, what do you what do you propose here?
2: Well, um, one simple trick that I've read about myself many years ago and forgot actually where I picked it up, but uh, is uh, you can buy this uh, glitter nail polish or you know maybe you have a something other that uses uh, glitter nail polish, uh, and then you just put a little dab of glitter nail polish on the screws. The attacker has to remove the screws from the laptop. And by putting this glitter nail polish on the laptop, on the screws, well, if they open it, um, they will break that seal, so to speak. And it's really difficult, of course, even if they happen to have the same brand nail polish, to get it back just the right way. So you would take a picture of uh, these screws after you apply the nail polish. I also recommend covering it up a little bit, uh, not necessarily to hide it, but to prevent it from being damaged accidentally. You know, many of us have like uh, little cases or so we put uh, on our laptops to protect them better. Uh, hmm. They may also work here, uh, but uh, just put a little piece of paper on it, maybe some tape to sort of prevent accidental damage here. Hmm.
1: I could uh, imagine also that if someone were going to uh, break into your laptop and they flipped it over and they saw glitter on the screws, they would they might think twice about it because the possibility of them being discovered. Correct. And that may also discourage them. And on the same note,
2: um, hotel safes are known to be not secure. I prefer uh, like a little backpack with sort of a Pelican ca- case attached to it where I can put my own padlock on it. Again, this is not perfect. They can't just cut the plastic. They can still steal the laptop. That's yeah. not your worry. Uh, you're worried about them modifying the laptop without you knowing. So this is really more about adding sort of some temper evidence than tamper-proof or or theft approving the laptop.
1: Yeah, I always wonder with these sorts of things, it, it strikes me that if you are someone whose uh, risk profile includes this sort of evil maid attack, I suspect you would probably know it and have these sorts of protections put in place or or you'd be the the person who wouldn't leave a laptop behind if this was something that uh, that you knew you were perhaps going to fall victim to.
2: Correct. Uh, That's definitely the case here. And uh, I've seen companies that for high risk individuals have like x-ray machines where they periodically x-ray laptops to make sure they haven't been tampered with sort of on a On a circuit board level, what I always recommend is have two laptops, one for the company secrets that you leave in the hotel, one with your personal secrets that you keep with you uh, so uh, that nothing important gets stolen. (laughs)
1: That's a heavy backpack, Johannes. It's a heavy backpack. (laughs) TSA loves me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. experience your world secured visit zscaler.com zero trust ai